0: For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are, for you, which are your glory, To him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Ephesians 3 falls into three sections. The first I've called Paul in prison, the second Paul in prayer, and then our prayer. And today we're looking at the mystery that Paul wanted the little church in Ephesus to know. And the funny thing is, he's only just explained it to them, what the mystery is. So, why does he spend another whole chapter describing it? Well, I think it's because it's so easy to miss the significance of what he's been saying. If you've been listening over the last few weeks, who would like to summarize what we've covered so far? Don't worry, I'm not going to pick on anybody if you're feeling uncomfortable in your seats. But do you see what I mean? It's a little bit hard to follow Paul's teaching. It just keeps on coming, doesn't it? Paul has so much to say that we might miss the main point. And he wants us to see the big picture, to be able to answer the question, what was that all about? So Ephesians 3 is his way of answering the big question in life. Why am I here? My four-year-old grandson is into why questions at the moment. I had a good one this week. Why do fish live in water? I had a go at it. I don't know what you would have made of that one, how you would have answered it. You might have some why questions of your own. Things like, why am I here this morning? Why am I listening to a Bible talk at all? Why am I involved in this worship service? What's the point of church? Why am I here? Well, let's see what Paul has to say about some of these big questions. Let me pray for God's help as we do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the insight that you gave to Paul. Thank you for the mystery that was made known to him. Pray that this morning, by your spirit, you would open our eyes to see the great things that you have for us from Ephesians 3. In Jesus' name, amen. Just suppose for a moment that you have inherited a fortune. It means that you never need to work again, and you have millions left over, possibly billions. That may be hard for some of you who've never been that, looking, at, looking for a fortune in your life, uh, or maybe you're struggling at the moment having to go to the food bank, but just, just bear with me, just indulge me in this, The question is, with all your billions, what would you do with them? Would you join the likes of Bill and Melinda Gates and invest your billions in tackling global diseases like malaria or HIV AIDS, or looking after the children's education in poorer nations? Maybe you join Elon Musk and put your effort into pushing the boundaries of science by investing in building a colony on Mars. Or you might take one step further, like Jeff Bezos, and build colonies, huge artificial valleys, floating in the solar system, not too far from Earth, so that you can travel to and from Earth to visit your family and friends and pick up your Amazon parcels. (laughs) Some people have grand schemes and ridiculous amounts of money to pursue them. Paul says, aim higher. There's something greater. There are many things in life that we might think are worthy endeavours. We might want to put our efforts into them. Other things maybe are not so worthy. But Paul's vision is higher. Above the poverty, the diseases and troubles of the world... Beyond the search for life on other planets and travel to the moon or Mars with your feet firmly planted on the ground, Paul prays for his readers to look up and see God's big picture. In chapter 1, he told us that the saints in Ephesus were blessed because of what they had received in the heavenly realms. That Jesus had come down to earth from heaven to show them the Father's love to rescue them, to forgive their sins, to adopt them into his family. And then he explained how this works, that they were once dead to the things of God, living to please themselves. But God made them into his people, a holy people, and he now lives in them by his spirit. No longer separated from God's blessing, they belong in his family, Jews and Gentiles together. But have you found that Paul's teaching is just not that easy? It's, it's a bit like driving a Formula One car around Silverstone. Have you seen one of those, uh, those videos from behind the driver's... from the, the view from the steering wheel with Mark Webber telling you how the driver keeps on the racing line as he goes around? But it's difficult. There's so much information being thrown at you that it's so easy to spin out and lose where you are. And I think it's a bit like that with Ephesians. There's so much information we've been given, it's, a bit, it's easy just to miss the point. So if that's how you've been feeling about what we've been looking at over the last few weeks, then you can take comfort in today's passage. It's time to reflect on what's been said. Time to recharge our batteries. Work out where we've got to before we continue in the race. Well, let's start with verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul is in prison because he refuses to stop preaching that the non-Jews are included in God's plans. That's what we heard about last week. And he's not ashamed of suffering for it. And neither should they be. He says, and if you skip down to verse 13, he continues this thought. I ask you then not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. The non-Jews are part of God's big picture. It really is true. It's a truth worth suffering for. This little group of Gentile Christians in Ephesus can take encouragement that Paul is suffering for the good news, that even they are included. It's their glory. Something important was going on. It wasn't for nothing that Paul was suffering. It was for them, for their benefit, so they can be comforted that they weren't an insignificant little group of Christians. They were the very first of countless Gentile churches in God's big plan for the world. To belong to God's family is a glorious thing. I remember travelling along a long dirt track in Kenya and arriving at a village of a, of a few small huts. And we were greeted there by some women in very colourful dresses, floral costumes and headdresses, and they sang and they danced as they welcomed us into one of their huts, one of their homes. They served us a meal of hard-boiled eggs and homemade bread that they'd, they'd made from flour that they'd milled in their own milling machine. They're very proud of that. they just got their own milling machine. We prayed together, we joked together, we were one family together in Christ, even though we needed translators because we we didn't speak the same language. But we were at home together, two vastly different cultures. We were one in Christ. To belong to God's family is a glorious thing. Just imagine what would have happened if Paul had compromised on his teaching, if he'd stopped preaching it or watered it down. He might have avoided trouble with the authorities, but it would have meant that the Ephesians would miss out on the glory. Now they could take comfort in Paul's suffering. It is their glory. Well, I expect you wondered why Paul breaks off his train of thought about the glory of his suffering for the good news in his very first sentence and only finishes it in verse 13. Verses 2 to 12 is where he answers that question why am I here? He tells about the job job that he has to explain the mystery. Why stop in mid-sentence and explain it later in verse 13? Or to put it the other way around, why does he tell the story of his special calling to explain the mystery of Christ by talking about prison in verse 1 and suffering in verse 13? Well, I think he'd put it this way. It would say, I am writing to you from jail, but don't let that throw you. I'll tell you why. You see, I am a prisoner of Jesus. He took me captive and gave me a job to do, to explain this mystery to you. Notice that he doesn't call himself a Roman prisoner, although we think he probably was in Rome under house arrest. He tells the church in Ephesus that he is a slave or prisoner of Jesus. He is following his master's commands. He's under orders. And those orders are to tell them the mystery, which he describes in verse 2 as the administration of God's grace that was given to me. In verse 3 as the mystery made known to me by revelation. In verses 4 and 5 as the mystery of Christ not made known in other generations. And in verse 8 he talks of the administration of this mystery. So from these verses, we know that Paul's job is to administer the mystery, to explain it to people. It was also revealed that Paul was the one who had found this mystery. It hadn't been revealed to previous generations. And it concerns God's grace and Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, he tells us the mystery is that the Gentiles share the good news with Israel. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. They share the same inheritance, the same body, and the same promise, all in Jesus. But you may be thinking, that's a bit dramatic, isn't it? He's just told us all about that in chapter 2. We were taught about God's grace in Jesus Christ in Sunday school. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we believe in Jesus, if we turn our backs on sin and follow Jesus, then we're saved from our sin and God becomes our father. We're no longer cut off from his blessings. We're welcomed into his family. Why does Paul say this is a secret or a mystery? Well, what we might not know or have forgotten is that in those days it was a surprise, it was new. They'd been taught from the Old Testament that whenever you find Gentiles mentioned, they always come to the Jews if they want to find God. The promise to Abraham was that in you and in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And for centuries, people took that to mean that. Others could come and share the blessings, but they would have to come to Abraham and his descendants. And the Old Testament prophet said things like this in Isaiah 2, verse 3. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple in Jerusalem, if you want to find God. That was how God's plan for the Gentiles was referred to in the Old Testament. But to Peter and to Paul and, and the other apostles, God reveals I'm going to share my secret with you. I'm going to turn to the Gentiles and I'm going to deal with them direct. The Old Testament stories of God's grace being shown to people in other nations was always as outsiders relying on God's blessing on Israel to bless them too. But now it's revealed that everyone, all tribes and nations and people are welcome to belong in Christ Jesus. Now, the church has free access to the throne in heaven. We can approach God in confidence as a child has free access to his loving father. We're family. We belong. We share in all the blessings of God's forever family. And what's more, Paul, t- Paul tells us that the rulers and powers in the heavenly realm hadn't forgotten about that because they didn't know either. There were no leaks in the heavenly cabinet. Not until Jesus died and rose again and took his seat in heaven did the apostles grasp this truth. And to this little gathering of Gentile believers in Ephesus, Paul says in verse 10, it's through you, through the church, that this secret hidden for ages in God, but now made known this manifest wisdom of God, this literally many-coloured wisdom of God, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Not even the angels and archangels were aware of this. But they are now. As Richard Kokin said in his study guide to Ephesians, every church is a trophy cabinet, displaying to the spiritual realms God's grace and wisdom in reconciling people of vastly different backgrounds in Christ. And that's true of us today as we meet in the name of Christ, we are a trophy cabinet of God's grace for the spiritual realms to see and take note. In verse 13, Paul finishes what he wrote in verse 1. Don't be discouraged by my imprisonment. It demonstrates the glorious status that the gospel gives to you, a Gentile church in Ephesus. You are included in God's family. It's your glory Let's turn now to section 2, Paul in prayer. He starts with verse 14, for this reason. If Paul was writing a movie soundtrack, this repeating phrase would remind us of what has gone before. He used it in verse 1, and in chapter 1, verse 15. He keeps building upon what he's written before. And it's as if he now adds the string section. This is more than just an admin job that I've been given. Higher than that, I have reason to pray. And his prayer reminded me of the Lord's Prayer. I kneel before the Father. Paul is kneeling in prison to pray, but he's also kneeling before the throne of grace of his Father in heaven. And not just his Father, it's also our Father who art in heaven, because he continues in verse 15, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Here Paul gives us the big picture again. God's family, named after him. It's not just Israel, it's not just Jews and non-Jews, both saved by Jesus Christ. It's also those living in heaven. Now the the NIV translation here is, is not the best, It will be better translated as every family rather than his whole family. Every family in heaven includes family groupings and classes of angels in heaven, both good and rebellious, who were created by God and every family on earth, all human family relationships. God as the creator rules over every family. He's in control. And he rules with love, a love so great that we'll never fully understand it. Which begs me to ask you the question. Do you agree that God the Father deserves your worship? And have you asked him to forgive you and to bring you into his family? If not, and you've been ignoring him, then why not turn your life around? The Bible calls that repenting and ask Jesus to rescue you. The angels in heaven have watched millions of people do that over the last 2,000 years. And the believers in Ephesus had done that. And Paul prays for their faith to grow, that God will work in their inner beings by the power of his spirit. Once you know that you belong to the family of God, Everything changes. You'll never fully grasp how big that change is. It's beyond words. Let me, let me try to illustrate this. Do you remember travelling up to London by train? Remember trains? Those long sausage-shaped things that ran on rails that used to carry commuters up to London, packed in like sardines. And as you neared Waterloo Station you could see a large tower being built in the distance. That's the shard, you thought knowingly. But it was always in the distance. One day it'll be finished and it'll be worth a visit, you thought to yourself. And then it was finished. And you heard that you could visit and see the view from the tower. But only when you got close to it did you appreciate just how big it was. And then when you got inside it, you could hardly take it in. It was huge and the view was amazing. Well, Paul prayed for the Ephesians to have that experience, to know God's love from the inside, to see the view from heaven to experience the Father's love from within the family, to belong, to marvel at the love that came through Jesus and reaches out to all people. A love that's so great you can never get your mind around it. To worship God for who he is and be constantly amazed at this good news story of his love through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to explain what that feels like to someone who's on the outside. How do we explain that to our friends and families who haven't experienced that? We need something better than my shard illustration. I have a four minute video that I found from the essentials course. If you're any good at drawing, you might like to try drawing out. This is a little video of how you can explain how you can join the family of faith. Let's watch it together.
2: If we want to know if there is a God and what he is like, then the best place to start is with Jesus. And when I say Jesus, I mean the real Jesus, the captivating, beautiful and relevant person who made footprints on this earth, and who we hear about in the Bible, the person who said he was the Son of God. The God who has always existed is a united family of three divine persons, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's what Christians call the Trinity. It's the delightful conviction that for all eternity, at the very heart of the universe, is a relationship of perfect love. And the amazing news is that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was born. This happened so that Jesus could rescue us from the greatest danger we face. What do we need rescuing from? We have been created by God. This means he has the right to tell us how to live. Now this isn't a bad thing, God doesn't want to spoil our fun, no, he wants to maximise our joy. The way he does this is by giving us loving boundaries, like a loving father who adores his children and wants them to thrive. God tells us what to do and what to avoid. However, instead of listening to God, we all reject him. We all decide to live our lives our way. Now We usually call this personal freedom or self-expression but his true name is sin or cosmic treason. We deserve to be punished for this, and the punishment that fits the crime is for us to experience the full force of God's anger forever in a place called hell. But the great news is that Jesus came to rescue us from this terrifying future. Jesus came to save us from eternal punishment. How did he do it? When his hands and feet were nailed to a wooden cross, And he was lifted up to suffer in our place. Motivated by love, Jesus sacrificed himself to pay for our sin. The punishment we deserve to experience in hell was suffered by Jesus on the cross. But Jesus' death was not the end of the story. He was raised to enjoy new physical life. And this was God the Father's way of demonstrating that Jesus' suffering had fully paid the price of our sins. But what are we rescued for? The answer is breathtaking, an eternal relationship with each member of the Trinity. We are saved for love. Jesus wants us to surrender to him as our King, which is a great way to live. With Jesus in charge, every part of us will gradually be made more beautiful. When anyone decides to live like this, they are united to Jesus and so Jesus' father becomes their father. This means a Christian instantly becomes a child in the father's family, which results in lots of new brothers and sisters. Now you may fear that you can never change to be the way Jesus expects, but if you choose to follow Jesus as your king, the Holy Spirit will live within you, and he will help you to do what Jesus commands. A Christian is someone who has decided to stop committing cosmic treason, Instead of rejecting God's loving boundaries, they have embraced Jesus as their king. And as a result, they have benefited from his death on the cross. They have been rescued from the punishment they deserve. And now enjoy a loving relationship with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. A relationship that will last forever.
1: Do you think you could make use of that? If you're any good at drawing, maybe you could. It had those words within it. Now you may fear that you can never change to be the way that Jesus expects. But if you choose to follow Jesus as your king, the Holy Spirit will live within you and he will help you to do what Jesus commands. Paul knew that. He wants the Ephesian church to know it too. They were God's family. They belong. They can see the view from the inside. Well, we finish with verses 20 and 21. Did you notice that Paul changes from talking about I in verse 14, I kneel before the Father, to talking about we in verse 20, all we ask. So I've called this final section Our Prayer. Paul concludes his personal prayer in verses 14 to 19 with what the church prays, what we ask and imagine. In answer to his prayer, the church prays in power, verse 20, because the Holy Spirit fills us and we get answers beyond our wildest imagination. So we can be excited about our church prayer meetings and expect to see God working in us, in his power to fill us to all the fullness with God's fullness. I suspect you've heard this prayer or doxology many times, so let's just draw out one theme from it as we close. Glory. Who gets the glory? Well, it's the Father to whom Paul has bowed the knee, who does far more than we can ever get our minds around. And who works within us by the power of the Holy Spirit? God, the Father, gets the glory. But where do we find this glory? Where is it seen? And the answer might surprise you. God's glory is seen in the church and in Christ Jesus. It has always been God's plan from before the creation of the world to have a people for himself, to have a people on the earth, to glorify him. And Paul says, that's the church. It started in a little gathering of Christians like those at the church in Ephesus. And it continues through generations. And then one day, as he said in chapter 1 and verse 10, when the times have reached their fulfilment, God will bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's the glorious future ahead of us if we're part of God's big building project on this earth, his church. Our job is to be the people who show God's glory to the world as we make the good news of Jesus known. And that's the big picture. That's what Paul was so keen for the Ephesians to grasp. Did you get Paul's drift? Did something of it stir you? Well, as I close, some practical pointers as to what you can do. So you don't just leave here today thinking, nice sermon, thanks. Big picture, wow. But how does that make a difference to my life, Monday to Saturday? How will this help me when I'm feeling a bit rebellious? Or struggling with an addiction? Or trying to live well with cancer? Or just feeling that life's hard? How does this help me cope with the coronavirus? Well, Rob's already given us quite a few things to do this morning, so I'll just add very briefly to those. First, and most important, Ephesians encourages us to pray. Our Heavenly Father has a plan, and he invites you and me to be part of it. Spending time with God in prayer makes a huge difference to every day of the week. Paul prayed big prayers, and so can we. Secondly, we've seen a glimpse of the big picture, and that helps us with our daily battles Paul tells us where we've come from, how we got here, and where we're going. So he poured himself into telling people the mystery of this gospel of Jesus Christ, and he prayed. So we don't pin our hopes on space travel or unpicking the secrets of black holes. We're heading for something far better, an eternity with Christ So everyday problems seem a little bit less scary when we know where we're headed. And thirdly, Paul has a lot more to say. Ephesians chapters 4, 5 and 6 are a masterclass in how to live in God's family. Things to do that will make a difference to our lives Monday to Saturday. And maybe even a few tips on what to do on Sundays. So do watch next week. Don't miss out on what the teaching is coming from Ephesians and as Rob said do continue to meet together to pray together by phone or by virtual house group or however to encourage each other in the faith did I mention prayer? yeah I think I I think I've got that one let's pray heavenly father we bow the knee to you we thank you for the great teaching of Paul We thank you for what he saw. Thank you for the church that you have put your glory within. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage us with this vision. Help us to be your people in Basingstoke, to let other people know the glorious majesty, the great story of Jesus who came to save us from our sins and to bring us into your family. Lord, help us to be your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.